Welcome, and thank you for joining us in today's teaching as we continue our study through the book of Revelation. Here is Pastor Greg. Revelation chapter 11, we are really now at the halfway point through the book of Revelation. There's 22 chapters in this book. We've already, uh, we'll finish chapter 11 today, but we're, we've covered really a lot so far when you think about really where we've gone in just these 11 chapters. I started thinking of just each one of these chapters and I thought, well, I'm going to do a little bit of a review just to kind of stir our own memories of what we've covered. And, and some of us have come in later, but when we were in chapter one, and you can write these things down or follow along, but uh, write these things down. When we were in chapter one, John was given this vision of the glorified Christ. When we came to chapters 2 and 3, John was instructed to write a letter to the seven churches that were in Asia. And those seven churches received one of these letters that really applied to them 2,000 years ago. And those same letters that we read in our Bibles today, they apply to us as the church today. And that's what's so awesome about God's Word. It's, it's never just for the past. It's always still for the present. When we were in chapter 4, John was taken to heaven where he sees the throne room of God. And this chapter 4 verse 1 really is where most, and I believe this is where I believe that the picture that we get here of John being taken up is the rapture of the church, that the church by chapter 4 was all, will already have been in heaven. In chapter 5, John's attention then turns to a throne, and he sees God sitting on a throne, and from that throne, he begins to see this scroll and this scroll that was in the right hand of God as he was sitting on the throne, the cry went out, went out, who's worthy to open this scroll? And we know that it was the lamb that came and took the scroll out of the hand and, and, and loosed the seals that were there. And we came to chapter 6 and really this is the beginning of the loosing of those seals. We might say it's the beginning of this 70th week of Daniel. This seven-year tribulation period where the seals were broken, the seven seals, and they were began to unfold these judgments upon the earth. Chapter 7 was one of those parenthetical chapters, one of those pauses in the narrative where John sees 144,000 Jews that were sealed by God and they were going to be and will be these evangelists that will evangelize this earth. Chapter 8 starts with the last seal, the last of the seven seals being broken. And in that last seal, seven more judgments come forth. It's, it's actually in that last seal is when the seven trumpet judgments come forth. Chapter 9 continues with the fifth angel sounding his trumpet which is the first 
of three woes. And so it starts out with, in chapter 9, with these four trumpets being sounded, and then it comes to the last three trumpets, which are referred to as the woe, woe, woe. And as each one of those trumpets was blown, we see that now the destruction really and the judgment upon this earth now is being directed towards mankind. It's no longer just the earth and the heavens, but it's actually mankind, that these were demonic in nature these last, uh, the last two trumpets of chapter 9. Chapter 10 to chapter 11, verse 14, is another parenthetical section, another pause in the narrative where John really received more information. Uh, he saw this mighty angel with a, the little book in his hand, and he was told to eat it. And it was sweet in his mouth, but it became bitter in his stomach. And that whole message of the gospel, how sweet it is. But there is also an element of that gospel that is bitter. Because there are people that reject it. And there is judgment, really, that is going to come upon this earth for those that have rejected the good news of Jesus Christ. Chapter 11, uh, John was told in the first two verses to measure the temple to measure the court and then or, or the altar excuse me and to leave out the courtyard or the court of the gentiles and then we read about the two witnesses uh, that have this divine protection by god and they, they, they are empowered by God with this divine power. And they're going to prophesy during the first half of the tribulation period for 1260 days or for three and a half years. That, in a nutshell, is what we've covered so far. In chapter 6 of Revelation, verse 16, we read that the kings of the earth... The great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, and every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains, saying to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of God who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of His wrath has come, and who will be able to stand? Don't ever let somebody tell you that the book of Revelation has nothing to do with future events or that the book of Revelation has nothing to do with the wrath of God being poured out on this earth. We're told here that the great day of his wrath has come and who will be able to stand? And I will say that that wrath is being orchestrated from the very hand of God towards this world. In chapter eight, verse six, when the uh, seventh angel, uh, excuse me, the seventh seal is broken, John sees seven angels that are standing before God with seven trumpets that they are given, and they were given the authority to sound those trumpets. Seven angels of God. These first four that were blown. John sees that the inhabitants of the earth, or excuse me, he sees that the earth is affected by these judgments. But then we read the last three where it says, Woe, woe, 
woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. Whenever I, you know, I read that word woe, and it's not the only time in the book of Revelation that it's used, but when I read that word woe, it gets my attention. When I read woe, 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 it really gets my attention. I'm looking at and reading this and going, what a day that's going to be. Thank God that I'm not going to be here. Thank God if you know Jesus Christ this morning and you have that confidence that you're not going to be here during that time. Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. In chapter 9, verse 12, we read that one woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. It's almost like you're saying, you know, those times where we say, you know, it's bad. Can it get any worse than this? And it does. It actually is getting worse as we see this progressing. Why? Why is it progressively getting worse? Why are these judgments that are coming down upon this world increasing in their magnitude and their intensity upon this earth? Because men were unwilling to repent. They're unwilling to turn. They would not repent. We read in verse 21, they did not repent. Even after all of that, they won't turn. You know what's an awesome thought? Is that, as I shared in the past, by the middle of the tribulation period, if you go by the population of our world today, by the middle of the tribulation period, or at least by the sounding of the sixth trumpet, there's already going to be two and a half to three billion people that will have already perished in this world. Two and a half billion with a B. That's not million, billion people. They say there's seven million people in the world currently, a little over that. They estimate maybe a couple billion Christians in the world. These are all estimates. But half of the remaining people have been killed by this time through these judgments upon this earth. Pretty incredible. Pretty scary for those who don't know Christ. Let's uh, look in our Bibles. Chapter 11, verse 14 to 19. I'm going to read the text and then I'll come back and comment on it. Verse 14 reads... The second woe is past, and also the first. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. In the time of the dead, that they should be judged." 
And that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and shall destroy those who destroy the earth. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple, and there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, an earthquake, and great hail. Wow. (laughs) That last verse alone should cause a person without Christ to tremble. That day is coming. That day will come. As sure as you get up out of bed every day, and you know that when you get up that the sun's going to rise and the sun's going to set. It's clockwork. It's going to happen. Just as we see it happen every day. These things will come to pass. And it should stir our hearts. It should give us even more of a passion to be a witness for Jesus Christ. It should give us more of a passion to want to live for the Lord. To follow after Him. To give it all up for Him. There's no better time to live as a Christian than right now. We have everything before us, set before us. We've been told, we've been given everything from the beginning to the end in this Bible. We have every reason to follow after the Lord harder than we've ever followed Him before. Chapter 11 It starts out, if you remember, with the temple on earth. Remember, the temple on earth is the tribulation temple. It was a temple that the Jews are going to rebuild probably during the first half of the tribulation period. We know it will be completed by the middle. Sometime this tribulation temple is going to be rebuilt. That's what we see in the first half. But this chapter 11 then finishes with John seeing the temple in heaven. There's a temple that is there in heaven. In Revelation 15, chapter 15, verse 1, it tells us that the next set of judgments called the bowl judgments, these are going to be now the the next set of judgments that are going to follow these trumpets, uh, that these bowl judgments, some of your Bibles might read uh, vile judgments, that they're going to bring the wrath of God to an end. Remember, there's three sets of judgments. And after that last set of bold judgments or vile judgments, that's going to complete the wrath of God. Three sets of seven judgments upon this earth. It re, uh, the final bold judgments, uh, we're not going to see them until we actually get to chapter 16. When we get to chapter 16, we know that we're drawing closer to the end of the tribulation period because it's going to be out of the seventh trumpet that we're looking at this morning that the seven bowl judgments are going to come out of this sounding of this seventh trumpet. So let's look a little closer at these verses now. Verse 14, it reads that the second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. Which tells me that these 
judgments that are coming, they come in succession of each other and they come in rapid succession. Actually, uh, the bowl judgments are going to come even quicker than that because all of those are even contained and I believe it's just going to be one right after the other during the second half of the tribulation period. The first four were directed towards earth and heaven. The last three directed towards mankind. But when we get to verse 15, with all of these judgments that have already come upon the earth, John sees something else. Look at verse 15. This is really a pronouncement of God's kingdom that it has finally come. Remember the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God really uh, and the kingdoms of this earth were given over to Satan when he was cast down to this earth. But you know what? God is on his throne. He's never left his throne. He's always been in control. But he has allowed the God of this world to really have control over the kingdoms of this earth. And when this seventh angel sounds the trumpet, John sees and hears in heaven, we're told in verse 15, that there were loud voices. And I want you to notice that the word voices there is in plural. We see other times as we've gone through uh, Revelation here, John heard a loud voice, singular. But here it's loud voices in heaven. And this is what the voices are saying. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ. That Lord there in reference to the Father and of His Christ. Really, Christ means Messiah or the Anointed One of Jesus Christ. He shall reign forever and ever. As they were shouting really these words of praise. These words of worship. To God. You know, I, I shared that there will come a time for all of us as believers where we're actually going to be able to rejoice in the righteous judgments of God. Right now, we're to be praying for the lost. We're, we're not to be looking upon those that, were, that are living ungodly lives and wish that they would be condemned or that the wrath of God would come on them. We're to be praying for everyone that doesn't know Christ, no matter how vile they are, that they would come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. We're not praying for God's wrath right now to be poured out upon. We're praying that God's mercy would be extended to those who don't know Christ. But there is coming a day, and I believe we're going to be in heaven at this point, where we're going to rejoice in the righteous judgments of God and the wrath that is being poured out upon this world. The sounding of this seventh trumpet, actually, as far as the timeline is concerned, is really going to lead us all the way to chapter 20. If we were to stretch out these judgments, I believe that they are going to lead us to chapter 20, which chapter 20 of the book of Revelation is when God sets up his millennial kingdom here on earth. God is going to reign, and you and I that know Jesus Christ as our Savior are going to reign with Christ for a thousand years during that millennial reign here on earth. 
It's going to be a whole different world then. It's going to be redone the way God intended it to be. But God is going to rule the world at that time with a rod of iron. And then after that thousand-year millennial reign, we're going to go into eternity with the Lord forever and ever. And God is going to take and make a new heaven and a new earth. These voices that John hears in verse 15... Uh, really are they're rejoicing over a long anticipated day when Jesus Christ was going to come back and reign on earth. Remember the disciples, how confused they were about the Lord setting up his kingdom here on earth. They thought our Messiah has come. He's going to establish his kingdom on earth, deliver us from the oppression. And the Lord was saying, it's not time, guys. This is not the time. But you know what? All throughout these 2,000 years, the church is waiting in anticipation. We're waiting this morning for that future day when Jesus Christ is going to set up his kingdom here on earth. He's going to take back from Satan and reestablish what he intended to be. He's going to sit on the throne of David once again. This long-anticipated day is what they're rejoicing over. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord, is what they're saying. And He's going to reign forever and ever. Can you hear that? Who's saying this right now? Who's rejoicing? Who are these voices? It's going to be you and I. I believe it's going to be the church The voices that we're reading here are the church and all the host of all the heavenly uh, angels and everyone in heaven that are going to be raising their voices. The day has come. And I believe that the church at this middle point or when the seventh angel is sounding his trumpet are really looking in anticipation for the end of the tribulation period where Jesus Christ is going to come back as Lord and Lord and King of Kings, and he's going to establish his kingdom here on earth. When we read in the text that they, that they have come, the kingdoms of the Lord, these words have come, look in your Bible, these words have come, the kingdoms of our Lord, indicate that the people that are crying out they're absolutely sure even though it has not yet happened the millennial kingdom had not has not yet been set up they're crying out with absolute assurity that it's going to come to pass it's almost like when we elect in a president or somebody into office and in an Anticipation, we're waiting for them to be sworn into their position. This is going to be the Lord in that millennial reign that at, at that point that he's going to be. But the church here is crying out as if it's already a done deal. They have become the kingdoms of our Lord. Remember that out of these seven trumpets, or this, excuse me, this seventh trumpet comes the bold judgments or the vile judgments. 
And these are not going to be completed until the end of the tribulation period, the second half. In John's Gospel, in chapter 18, uh, we read that the kingdoms of this world really have been given over to someone other than the Lord. In John 18.33, remember when Jesus stood before Pilate on that day when he was going to go to the cross? He stood before Pilate in the praetorium there. And Pilate summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you a king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative, or did others tell you about me? And Pilate answered Jesus, he says, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priest delivered you to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered the king, he says, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 8, remember when Jesus went out into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. It tells us that the devil took Jesus up onto an exceedingly high mountain. And he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me, Satan says. And Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. The kingdoms of this world. In a sense, they've been given over. Because the God of this world really is controlling the kingdoms of this world. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, Isaiah prophesied, though, about a coming day where the governments were going to be once again upon the Lord Jesus Christ. We read, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then it says in verse 7, Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. When Jesus Christ comes back and set up his kingdom here, he's going to establish his kingdom here on earth. When we go into eternity, it's forever and ever and ever. It'll never be taken away again or or given over. It's going to last forever and ever. Revelation chapter 1 verse 9. John saw himself and he also saw that even though he was in on the island of Patmos, in all of his tribulation, we read that he saw himself as already existing in the kingdom and in the patience of Jesus Christ. 
John saw himself in the spiritual kingdom. You and I as believers, we're under God's spiritual kingdom. But the God of this world that that is maneuvering amongst the kingdoms of this world, we're not of this world either as believers. John saw himself really residing in that spiritual kingdom then of Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, after Satan is cast out of heaven, we'll read that when we get there, it says, Then John heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come. For the accuser of the brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. God's going to come and take Satan and the false prophet and he's going to cast them into the lake of fire. During the millennial reign, he's going to be bound for a thousand years. The Lord's going to take and bind him up for a thousand years. While he administers his kingship here on earth. In Revelation 16.10. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom. And it became full of darkness. And it says, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. As these bowls are being poured out, these bowl judgments upon this earth. So intense, so incredibly terrible upon mankind. It says that they gnaw their tongues with pain. And here it's referred to as the throne of the beast. His kingdom. I don't want to be a part of that kingdom. I want to be a part of the kingdom that God is going to establish here on earth. In verse 16 we read, in response to this, really this cry and this cry of worship for what God is going to do, verse 16 says that the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones, they fell on their faces and they worshiped God. John sees these 24 elders falling face down to the ground to worship God. And I believe that, as I've already shared in a past study, I believe that these 24 elders are representative of the church. And so we're going to be one of these, falling down and worshiping God. John saw these 24 elders, it says, seated on their thrones before God. And whenever you see uh, seated on thrones, it it speaks really of, of people that have been redeemed. This is the redeemed church, the 24 elders that are actually falling on their faces before God to worship Him. In light of what I just read there in verse 50, that God is going to take His throne back. John sees these 24 elders seated on their thrones. And then it says, 
uh, it, which this really is not, excuse me, the first time that John sees this because back in Revelation 4.10, we read that the 24 elders, that they fell down before him who sits on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. And then we're told in that verse that they cast their crowns before the throne. That's the church. In Revelation 5.8, when he had uh, taken the scroll, the four living creatures, and then it says again, the 24 elders, they fall down before the Lamb, each having a harp and a golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, worshiping God in His presence. Revelation 5.14, Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. Revelation 7.11 All of the angels stood around the throne. And the elders and the four living creatures, they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshipped God. And then lastly in Revelation 19.4 This is at the marriage supper of the Lamb. It says, And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. You know, I started thinking about worship and really what it means to worship the Lord. And you think, you know what? The worship that's going on here that we're reading in this text is not words of songs like they're singing songs. They're acknowledging something great about their God. You know, but I think about our worship here on this earth as we worship God. How so often we're really intimidated over this whole thing of worship. We see it within the church where people have a hard time really even lifting up their voice to the Lord. We see that they kind of shrink back from really just lifting their whole heart before the Lord and just giving it all up to the Lord in praise and worship. And what I just read there of what we're going to be doing as a church, so often it seems, why don't we do it here and now? Why don't we hit the ground, so to speak, in awe and reverence of the God that we're worshiping? The only thing that I could think of is that really what keeps us from being like that is pride. Pride doesn't allow me to want to lay prostrate before God and to really worship Him with my whole heart. I think about what other people might be thinking. You know, but when we're in heaven someday and we're standing before the throne room of God, the throne... I believe that all that pride is going to be stripped away. I believe that we're going to hit our face easily. We're going to throw our crowns down before him that have been given. Because he's the one that is worthy to be worshipped and praised. I'm kind of looking forward to that day. When God's going to strip away the pride. That we're really going to come before the Lord. All of us. I mean... Why, why can't we do that here and now? We can. So if I see one of you laying prostrate between these chairs here, laying on your face and worshiping God, that's okay. 
go ahead and do it. And don't worry what anyone might think. If you wanted to kneel before God, we stand before God and sometimes we do all this stuff robotically. But if you wanted to stand before God and just say, Lord, I want to worship you and lift up your hands before the Lord. I always sit up front. I never see if anybody ever raises your hands before the Lord. But you know what? You should be able to easily, without any intimidation, be able to say, God, I just worship you. I raise my voice. I'm unashamed of my relationship with you. And I worship you this day. I want to give you my whole heart in worship today. That should really be our hearts here and now. Not when we get to heaven. Remember that the last trumpet has already been sounded. The church is poised in heaven, so to speak, for what's about to take place. There's more to come. There's a sense of awe. I believe that is really consuming those saints that are now in heaven and that heavenly host of angels that are in heaven of what's about to come. And that's when they fall on their face before God. Listen to what they say in verse 17. Listen how the church is worshiping here. They're saying, we give thanks, to thanks, O God, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned. Your great power and reigned. The church, I believe, here in these words of acknowledging how great God is, how mighty he is, how powerful he is, in what they've already seen displayed in what God has done. They're acknowledging that He is Lord God Almighty. Is there anything too hard for God for you? Is there anything that's going on in your life right now that you think that God can't handle this? You know, if He is the Lord God Almighty the creator of the heavens and the earth, he literally spoke creation into existence. With the very words of his mouth, it was done. And somehow we sit back and we say, yeah, but I don't know if God can do this. Or that he's able. We give thanks, O Lord God Almighty. Your great power has been displayed and you reign. The church is rejoicing with thankful hearts. You know, being and having a thankful heart, do you know that that's characteristic only of a believer? You can be a non-believer and say thank you. But you know what? Having a thankful heart comes out of a person that has a relationship with God. A person that doesn't know Christ, it tells us in the book of Romans, neither were they thankful, speaking about the unbeliever. Because it's characteristic of somebody that doesn't know Christ. They're not thankful for God, for the things that, the blessings that come their way that they don't even give God any credit or acknowledgement for. But it's characteristic of you and I. 
as believers. We give thanks to you, O Lord. Verse 18, it says that the nations were angry and your wrath has come. This is all in their acknowledgement of how great and powerful God is. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. They continue to praise really as they see the nations become angry. Can you, can you think of what the heart of people and the mindset of people are going to be here on earth as these judgments are being poured out upon this earth? They're actually going to become, a lot of them, even more angry, more set in their hearts that they hate God. They hate what He stands for. Even now in your life, if you make a stand for Jesus Christ, the world's going to hate you. Because you live righteously or you try not to to do things that God has called you not to do. If you don't do those things, the world will hate you. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. We can all see this more and more, can't we? In the day that we're living in, the days that we're living in today. Hatred towards God. Are you seeing that? <laughs> just watch just, just watch the news. Just, you know, just watch what's going on around you. Do you think that the world is becoming more angry towards God? More angry towards these Christians? Do you know that even in the media that Christians are even now being deemed as terrorists? You terrorist Christians. You're just here to, you know, to mess things up. Pose all your, you know, your, your religious ideas. And, you know, and, and the world hates really what we stand for. Why? Because they hate God. The nations were angry. You know, if you stand for truth in this world right now, and if you stand for righteousness right now in your walk with Jesus Christ, and if you're unwilling to follow after the systems of this world, the world's going to hate you. If you don't want somebody to hate you, then just go with the flow. Follow along with everyone else. You say, I don't like to be hated. Well, Jesus already said, you will be hated for my name. People will say all manner against you evil for my name's sake. It's because you're a follower of me that they hate you because you follow in my ways. In Psalm 2... We read this, and I believe this psalm correlates with what we're reading here in verse 18, about the nations were angry, and your wrath has come. You can turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter, uh, Psalm 2, excuse me, in verse 1. The psalmist writes, why do the nations rage? We could say, why do the heathen nations rage? 
and the people plot a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. Do you see that? As this world and the world that hates the Lord, the nations that are angry, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. (laughs) God sees all this. God is not moved by it. By God laughing, it's like, Who's in control? God's in control. It goes on to say, The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill in Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. He starts out by asking, why do the nations rage against God? And the people plot a vain thing. You know what? This world is continually plotting and trying to to come up with ways to, to stop this flow of Christianity and the things that you stand for. It's it's a continual barrage by the God of this world and those who follow him to stamp out the things of God. I really believe when the rapture happens. There's probably going to be a lot of people. They may not understand what just took place, but there's going to be a lot of people going, praise <laughs> praise our, our God, our little God. They're going to be happy when we've been removed. Can you imagine what this earth is going to be like when there's no more Christian influence? Church has been removed. No, you know, God's spirit is everywhere, so it'll still be here through his witnesses and the 144,000, the two, but the church and the presence of the church and the Holy Spirit living is going to be gone. And if you want to see how wickedness can run rampant, then just remove the church and just think of what it'll be like after no church, uh, seven years without it how ugly this world will be. We read, And the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and shall destroy those who destroy the earth. We see really in these words here really just three things uh, that as a church we're going to be looking ahead to. Here's the three things that we're going to be looking ahead. It's speaking of things that have not yet happened. That there's going to be a time where God is going to judge. Future. There's coming a time where God is going to reward 
also. And there's coming a time that God is going to destroy those who destroyed the earth. Those three things. The church is looking ahead, down the road. Remember, if we're in the middle of the tribulation period, and this judgment is not going to happen until at the Lord comes back at His second coming, there's going to be the great white throne judgment, that the unbeliever is going to stand before God. Do you know that the Bible says that we all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ? But you will never stand before the great white throne judgment. That's for the unbeliever. But what you will stand before is the judgment seat of Christ, the bima seat, the Greek word bima, to be judged of what you've done for the Lord, what motive and what reasonings you did anything for the Lord. God is going to judge every intent of the heart, every motive of the heart, and it's going to be uh, judged as by fire. God is going to throw all of those things into the furnace. And whatever comes out, that, that can stand the test of that fire, God is going to reward you. You're going to be rewarded for everything that you've done in the name of the Lord, that it was done in the right heart and the right motive. You're going to reward your servants, your prophets and the saints, is what he says here. And those who fear your name, small and great, But that great white throne judgment for the non-believer, they're going to stand before that throne after that thousand-year millennial reign is complete. There's going to be a great white throne judgment where the unbeliever will stand before God. And the question then is not going to be asked, what kind of good deeds did you do? But what did you do with my son, Jesus Christ? Did you receive him or did you reject him? Everything that was offered to you, did you throw it away and I don't need that? Or did you receive it? He's going to reward the righteous, but he's going to judge those who have rejected. Revelation 22.12 says, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to their work. You know what? You want, nobody will ever fool God. Nobody will sneak into heaven and, and, and they got in there because they pulled one over on the Lord. <laughs> because they maybe had a lot of good deeds and things that they did in this life and God couldn't help but, you know, see those things. And somehow some people think they're still going to make it into heaven because they've done these good deeds. You know what? The Lord sees the heart and there won't be any fooling of the Lord. But the Lord comes back with a reward for all of those who have done a work in the name of the Lord unto the Lord, and God is going to reward them of that work. We're in heaven right now in this portion of Scripture looking forward to those coming days. God's going to reward, God's going to judge, but God is also going to destroy those who destroy the earth. Destroying those who destroy, we don't know, I don't know if it's, it, because it can really speak of physical, either the physical or moral destruction that is going to come upon this earth. But God is going to destroy those and those that would corrupt, I believe, this earth. 
I want to finish really with verse 19. It says, The temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. And there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, and earthquake and great hail. You know, this heavenly temple, uh, it's not the earthly temple that we read about two weeks ago, the tribulation temple. This is the heavenly temple that has been designed and, and set up there in heaven. John has a glimpse into this temple. But the opening of this temple and the vision of John being able to look inside of this temple, he sees within it the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant, it was a really represented God's faithfulness to the people of Israel. It also represented God's presence and also the atonement. These are the things that they would have related to that Ark of the Covenants is there in that temple in heaven that John has seen. We're told, I believe it's in chapter 15 of Revelation, that this temple is going to be closed as the bold judgments are being put out upon this earth for a period of time. But John sees in and sees the Ark of the Covenant within the temple. And then it follows with lightnings, noises, thunderings, and earthquake and great hail. We've seen a number of earthquakes. We've seen a number of things. And this seventh trumpet that is being blown does unleash really a judgment upon the earth. But it's also saying that, you know what, God's kingdom has come. They already see it. It's already a done deal. Thinking of what these last days or those days are going to be like during the tribulation period. The prophet uh, Zephaniah wrote about this day. And this is kind of awe to read. But uh, Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 14. Listen to what it says. Near is the great day of the Lord. Near and coming very quickly. Listen, the day of the Lord, in it the warriors cry out bitterly. A day of wrath is that day, a day of trouble and distress, a day of destruction and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities and the high corner towers. I will bring distress on men so that they will walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord and their blood will be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to deliver them on the day of the Lord's wrath. And all of the earth will be devoured in the fire of his jealousy. For he will make a complete end. Indeed, a terrifying one. All of the inhabitants of the earth. That 
is even hard to read. Because why it's hard to read is that we know that we have people that we love that we don't want to see. And, and even people that are not found, we just don't want to see anyone have to endure these days. But those days are coming. It should grip our hearts. It's interesting. He says, neither silver nor gold will be able to deliver them. <laughs> you notice all the compiling of gold these days? <laughs> all the shops that have opened up trying to buy up gold. People are, people are preparing for something, aren't they? <laughs> Russia, China, they're all buying up hordes of gold. They know that the bottom's going to drop out at some point. The world is preparing, really, for a day of disaster. But this day is coming. This day is coming upon this earth. And, Lord, that you would equip us and stir our hearts and get us thinking that we're in the last days. I believe we are. I believe that the Lord could come back today before we even leave this church building. If that thought gripped me every single day, I would be more compelled to want to live for the Lord and to want to be a witness for Him. Father, we just thank You for this time. We thank You for Your broken body for us. We thank You for Your shed blood. It paid the price for our sin. We thank you for your great love that you pour out upon us every single day. Your patience. Lord, that you would just continue, Father, to have your way in our life. Lord, changing us to be more like you. Help us serve you and follow you this week. Fill us afresh, even now, with your Holy Spirit. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed today's study. For more information on teachings, events, worship times, and location, please visit our website, ccfwinstonsalem.com. From Pastor Greg and all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship, thank you for listening and being part of our study through God's Word.